Hello friends, this is the AlphaList podcast. I am your host Toby. The goal of the AlphaList podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. Tired of stifting through countless resumes and struggling to find the right tech talent? Look no further. WorkGenius has some exciting news to share with you. WorkGenius has acquired ExpertLead. Now, they bring even more efficiency to your hiring process. Real-time live coding assessments for all. Whether you're a startup or an established enterprise, WorkGenius is now also here to turbocharge your hiring process. Say goodbye to the guesswork and endless interviews. WorkGenius matches your candidates with experts, saving you time and getting you top talent. Win-win. How it works? Share your tech job applicants, WorkGenius takes care of the rest. Your candidates, they are in the hands of seasoned pros. WorkGenius matches them with experienced senior developers and puts them through tailored, enjoyable and fair technical interviews. Your company gets the cream of the crop, the most sought after talents in the industry. And you save your hardworking tech and HR teams valuable time. If you want to try it out, visit link.alphalist.com slash work. So, welcome to the Alphalist podcast. I am your host, Toby. And uh, my guest today is generously taking a break from his summer holidays in Germany just to record a podcast with me. Um, the guy is originally from Berlin and he has one of the most exciting jobs in tech, I would say. Not in tech, in tech, I would say. He's the CEO of GitHub um, and his name is Thomas. So uh, welcome on the show, Thomas. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, no taxes involved. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, luckily. Eh? Um, I can't imagine the most exciting job, the job in taxes. <laughs> Probably <laughs> also artificial intelligence. <laughs> most likely. Um, so, um, uh, Thomas, you originally built um, a, an app called Hockey App and sold it to Microsoft. And um, I guess that's why you are where you are today. Um, but maybe we can start a little earlier. With your nerd path, I always <laughs> tend to say, like, yeah. why did you get into computing and what did you originally do? Yeah, we're we here in Berlin um, at the AI campus and it's actually not too far from where I grew up uh, in East Berlin in, in a suburb called Berlin, Marzahn um, during the 80s. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with technology as much as I had access to it with calculators and, and little electronics and, and whatnot. And uh, or more electrics than, than electronics. And uh, I saw, you know, a computer in the geography lab in school. Uh, I think it was like a um, Robotron KC85 or 87, something like that. And, and the teacher graciously allowed us to hack with this. And what worked very similar to, you know, Commodore 64, you had to use BASIC to load um, software from a cassette tape um, back then. And then, you know, the wall fell and 
bought a Commodore 64 myself and started coding um, and, and fell in love with creating stuff with software. And, and that became my passion as a kid. And we built little, you know, applications, um, game, did a lot of gaming uh, after school or in between, in, in between school. And um, I lived very close to school. Uh, and so usually on, on Wednesday afternoons, all my friends came over and we played like computer games until uh, in the whatever seventh or eighth hour we had we had like uh, PE or sports and um and and coded coded stuff. And and so I got into into coding and, and ultimately that became my profession. Actually during high school, I already started um, like a small business um, building insurance software. Okay. Um and, and what is your your favorite language these days? Like do you still every once in a while code or yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, Ruby is is forever my love. I, I ah, it's yeah. easy okay. to build stuff with Ruby. Very good. <laughs> and then uh, you know, as I've been a mobile developer um, uh, since ever since the iPhone came out or the iPhone SDK came out, um, uh, it's Swift and, and and to a certain degree Objective C. That that's what I do the most. Um, especially as my hobby projects are mostly stuff that I build for myself, and so they run on my phone because that's what I have with me wherever I go. And so uh, it's a it's a mix of Swift and on on the, on the client and, and Ruby on the server. Okay, um, and, and you still do that. Um, is it um, at GitHub? Is is Ruby still popular? Like I, I I can imagine that there's like maybe two hearts beating in the company that like one is like likes the legacy legacy stack and yeah. um, like the other one is absolutely against it. Is that the case? Or I mean, I wouldn't say against it, but there's you know different um, languages for different jobs, and so we're still using. A lot of Ruby and Rails. We're running a large monolith, um, and we are on the edge of the, of the latest Rails releases. Um, and that won't change um, for the foreseeable future. You know, this GitHub is um, almost 16 years old, or the first commit is almost 16 years ago, and and so it will. Uh, we will forever have, you know, most of that code. Um, and at the same time, we have, you know, modern modern applications like our mobile apps are written in, in Swift and, and Kotlin, and um, you know, we have stuff in Go and in, in Rust and, and, and whatnot. And so we have, you know, a, a multi-system, multi-service application. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of um, Ruby, um, Ruby and Rails uh, developers at GitHub. And I, I don't think that's going to change. And I, certainly not as long as I'm the CEO. <laughs> Very nice. Um, can you tell us a bit more about like your personal journey on, on why you actually became the, the, CTO, is the CEO, not the CTO of GitHub? Um, I, like, how did that happen? Yes, you know, I already mentioned, you know, I, I was in, in love with software development as a kid and, and, you know, went to a technical university here in Berlin. Uh, and during that time, I had a mentor um, from uh, Mercedes-Benz or back then Daimler Chrysler. And so that's how I moved from Berlin down to Stuttgart and worked for a while in the automotive industry and, and did lots of test drives and, and stuff that I liked for a certain amount of time. But then it put me back into into um, real software development, uh, especially with the iPhone SDK coming out and then having these beautiful devices in our pockets. Um, I became an independent you know, software contractor, built lots of iPhone apps, and then built uh, an application called Hockey App, which was a developer platform for, for mobile apps and um, for mobile app developers, um, you know, solved some pain points that we had when we built our own apps um, together with German companies and distributing beta versions and collecting crash reports, all that stuff. And that company, got acquired uh, by Microsoft in, in late 2014. Uh, we were a 10 person, person shop, you know, all self-funded small companies. So it was, it was obvious that, you know, we wouldn't be fully su submerged or assimilated into, into Microsoft. And then part of the deal was that the founders um, had, to, had to move to Redmond. Uh, and that got me over, you know, into, into the West Coast uh, universe uh, of software development and started at Microsoft as a product manager. 
uh, you know, made my way uh, through the hierarchy. Um, and then um, in 2018, uh, Ned Friedman had the idea of, of buying GitHub and, um, you know, it was his idea. His idea was his idea. And then, you know, he wrote a strategy memo. And obviously, as soon as you start doing that at a, in a large company like Microsoft, there's lots of other parties involved that help you, you know, figuring out all the financials and the financial model and, and the integration system. And 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 then and he was looking for somebody who uh, was kind of like pulling all the strings behind the scenes, um, uh, the deal lead or the deal execution manager, or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. And I became that person uh, in, in June of, of 2018. Uh, getting the deal from uh, you know the original announcement all the way to to deal close and making sure that that we actually can uh, can um, you know start working at GitHub and as the deal close came you know uh, into it was like weeks away or so uh, Ned asked me whether I want to join the GitHub leadership team with him and I was like ah, what would I do and he's like oh I don't know we figured that out and ultimately became the uh, vice president of special projects and and kind of like my first project was uh, making. Uh, private repositories uh, free, you know, at the time, uh, 2018, you still had to pay yeah, to get yeah, people, private repos, you had to pay for them, public repos were free. And so I, I picked up all, you know, all these, all these special projects uh, uh, until, you know, Nat decided um, to, to leave GitHub and, and pursue other ventures. And, um, and I became the CEO in November 2021. That's great. Like from integration manage, manager, quote unquote, yeah. uh, to, to CEO. That's uh, really, really cool. We didn't really integrate GitHub, right? Like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Not so much, right? Not, not yeah. so much. I, I mean, that's also the, like a key uh, change in, in Microsoft's acquisition strategy, right? To, to not integrate too deeply or? Depends. I think, you know, depending on what company uh, Microsoft is buying, there's different integration models. You know, the kind of like independent version we have seen now uh, different companies um, following that path, you know, Minecraft, um, I'd say was was the first one, uh, or Mojang, the company with product, obviously Minecraft, which is still a very independent brand, uh, runs on all the platforms, you know, um, LinkedIn, uh, uh, probably the biggest uh, by now, um, and, and GitHub followed that model uh, in 2018 for for similar reasons that we that we figured that you need to leave GitHub, you know, cloud neutral, uh, vendor neutral, ultimately. Uh, you need to preserve uh, its position within the open source ecosystem um, to uh, realize the value of the deal for Microsoft. In interesting. Um, one question which uh, uh, puzzled me a lot um, is like, where, where do you report to in, in Microsoft? Is there like some, I don't know, uh, committee or is it like <laughs> i don't know where, where God, you no. <laughs> no i we, we you know microsoft um which is now 40 years old by the time we're recording this podcast uh has you know always been a developer company if you think about what actually was the first product uh that microsoft launched in the 70s it was a basic interpreter uh, before then you know the dos and, and windows mm -hmm. waves mm -hmm. came and um and so microsoft for a long time had um what's called the developer division or dev div and so GitHub is part of that developer division. And uh, my manager, uh, Julia Liusen, is the president of the developer division. And, and so we are very close, you know, to teams like the .NET, uh, uh, the team that's building .NET and all the .NET tooling, obviously Visual Studio, which has been around for over 20 years, and uh, the VS Code team, uh, and all the other, you know, teams that are building um, developer tools um, and developer services. Okay, okay. And so there's no the comedy. I have a manager, she's yeah. president, and she yeah. has other you know, corporate vice presidents within Microsoft that uh, run parts of that developer division and uh, ultimately, you know, large developer tools, you know, together with, if you think about it, 
what does a developer really need, right? You need some editor and the most popular by far now is VS Code. You need a, a developer collaboration platform like GitHub and then you need some kind of like chat system, Slack or Teams or uh, Discord yeah. or whatever. Those yeah. are the three ingredients that, that every developer needs and, and, and Microsoft owns, you know, I'd say two of the most popular and then, uh, and then Teams if you want to use that and um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting um, how Microsoft went through this like really interesting pivot I still remember like the 90s or whenever it was, um, I had like the German li Linux magazine yeah, uh, on my too. desk and yeah. there was like an, a Microsoft anti-Linux ad um, uh, back then um, with like a penguin, uh, like, a, like a mutated penguin in it. Um, interesting how, how, how it all went by, right? And how, how time passed by and, 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 and where, where you stand right now, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the world has... The world of software development has changed so many times and has always, you know, come in waves and then the waves go and there's a new big thing. And um, I remember those times too at the Linux magazine. And when I started university in 98, everybody was buying a CT uh, as a, I think, Freena Pages magazine. Yeah. And I, probably those times are gone too, where, where students do that as a kind of like automatic thing. Yeah. Um, and, and before that, you know, we had um, the first magazine I think I bought on a regular basis was uh, 64 like the, the magazine for Commodore 64 um, and it had listings printed and you had to, you didn't actually type the listings. It was like checksums. And, and so you had to buy, you, you had to send a postcard uh, and then I sent you back um, uh, a disk with a decoder software for those checksums. And so instead of typing all the listings, you type checksums because they could print them in much less space than the actual listings. And then it would convert all these checksums back base, back, back to code, right? That was how we were distributing open source, not, not the actual open source, more like public domain source code, I guess. And then came open source. And, and as, as always with new technology, there was a lot of fear around it. And, you know, um, we're here at the AI campus and it's ironically the same fears that we have now about AI 20, 25 years ago, we had about uh, open source, you know, security, compliance, privacy, ownership, you know, legacy, who, who's maintaining all that stuff, you know, in, in 10 years. Um, time came, you know, we didn't solve... A lot of these problems, um, and you know, Log4j was probably the clearest example in recent history where security is still the open source security and software security, quite frankly, is still a big problem that we have to figure out. And um, but the world has moved on because the, the reality is no company can outcompete, you know, the millions of open source developers that are collaborating with each other every single day, 24-7, if you will, on especially on weekends for for you know, because it's the hobby of those developers. And um, and so you would be you would be crazy to start a new project and not pull in some open source library, leverage an open source uh, yeah, operating exactly. system, programming language, containers. You know, all that is open source, and nobody starts with checksums anymore yeah. or buys commercial software. Really, never underestimate the power of intrinsic motivation, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and, and and competition. Right at the end yeah. of the day, you know, the you you're building a new startup, um, whether it's here in Berlin or in San Francisco or in Seattle. Um, you you are a small team, and your your biggest um, your biggest benefit is that you can focus on something, and then be open minded of what components you're getting from the outside because you realize that two or three founders or how many or whatever person you have in your team uh, will not be able to otherwise outcompete the large tech companies that that exist everywhere. So, looking back twenty years, um, <laughs> like. Could you imagine that what 
that this might happen, that you end up uh, like operating a company, leading a company that I, I, I don't know, is, is very innovative in AI and is kind of um, helping people um, to, uh, to, 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 automatically code like without any like i mean re remembering that <laughs> those magazines and and the printed code in them like uh it, that's a crazy crazy shift right i mean I, i think you know if i look 20 years ago that was like 2003 i don't think i could have imagined that um in 2023 companies like github um company or hashicorp or datadog um, actually could be that successful and reach that kind of scale, right? Like, sure, you know, GitHub sold to Microsoft uh, at, at 7.5 billion uh, five years ago. Uh, who knows what the value would be now? Um, you know, if well, you, you if might you know. Take the, <laughs> well, you can just, you know, the one, it's, it's public knowledge that this was an all stock deal and you can just take stock price that Microsoft had at the time and take the stock price you have today and kind of like multi take the same multiplier, it's about three. Uh, and so, you know, it, by that logic, Michael, uh, GitHub would be worth uh, 20 something billion dollars, which would be a nicely sized public company. Um, uh, but I think, you know, 20 years ago, that that seemed like still um, science fiction. It seemed like science fiction that just a couple of hackers could take some open source, collaborate with people around, all around the world. I mean, a remote first company where you would just work from everywhere in the world and, and jump on, on video calls and, and, and communicate on Slack. Even that seemed like science fiction It's a bit like the Matrix, now right? And nowadays you, you, you walk through Berlin uh, and everybody has their Their, their smartphone in their hands, right? They yeah. have an Android phone. You, you can't really go anywhere where that's not the case and they're all using software. And so in many ways, I don't think I could have predicted that future, but it also, like, if I could go back and tell myself that that would be happening, I would be so happy because I think this is, um, we're living in an amazing world where you can communicate, you know, with your family from, from everywhere on, on the planet and, and send them photos or do FaceTime and, Uh, or work, quite frankly, um, yeah. with your laptop and, and a satellite connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what's your vision for, for GitHub? The ultimate vision for us is, you know, that we want to be the home of all developers. Um, that that has been, you know, a tagline for quite a while. Um, and we, part of GitHub has always been developer collaboration, um, it being the place where developers come, share their code, you know, collaborate, you know, forking a repo, Uh, taking that work, doing whatever you want to do with this, um, um, sending it back as a pull request if you'd like, uh, finding an issue um, um, to send some feedback, and um, you know, taking that source code and all these other projects that are on GitHub um, to accelerate human progress and and help you know the world to build more software. Um, you know, the uh, the crazy thing is you're we are writing millions and millions and millions of lines of code every day uh, on this planet. Uh, and it's, and we're still running code from the sixties. Um, and you don't have to go too far to find a bank or, um, you know, the German tax authorities or whatnot that all run still COBOL on mainframes from the sixties, mm -hmm. uh, or I think 50 something is the oldest I've heard so far. And, um, and in the meantime, you know, um, they're thinking about transforming that into modern, into a modern stack. And that will take years And then even if you have that achieved, then we still have the code from the 60s and the 70s and 80s and, and the 90s, right? Like we're running all this legacy code and we're adding more and more code. And so the, the job, the software developer in a way is to manage this exponentially growing code base. And we have this dream of removing all the tech debt. And uh, my joke always is, you're, you're not actually 
paying off the debt, you're just refinancing from whatever there was the last big thing into the new big thing. And there's always the next big thing on the horizon already. Um, yeah. Right? Like yeah. used to be Jack Curry and, 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 and now it's the like half of it, While you did half of and, it, uh, you, you already see that and want to move on to the next thing, right? And so we, I think, you know, it's an, it's an exciting world because so many people use software to, to run their lives and, and, and connect with friends and, and family and, and, and share their experiences. Um, and, and then software developers um, um, run the stack be, below that to make that all possible. And, and I think, you know, a lot of innovation will come from software development going forward. Mm -hmm. And, and would we say um, the job is changing in a, like big time with with uh, like the tech you're building right now with Copilot and and, and other tools that that that, that are coming um, in the future. Like, how would you envision like a software engineer 20 years from now? It's always changed, right? Like, if you go back to the example that you brought from the Linux magazine, and then you had to build your own kernel and install that, it would fail, and you have to go back and back. And before that, you know, when you were coding on a on a Commodore 64 on the first or you know, my first PC was 386 DX40. Mm -hmm. You had to understand a lot about the system architecture, you know, the CPU and the registers in the CPU and the fast cache and the slow cache and the memory. And and then you had maybe a disk drive, uh, but that was way slower than the memory. And so, you know, the famous, you know, Bill Gates, 640K RAM thing, where you basically then, that then meant you had to load stuff from disk and, 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 and write it to disk to basically offload stuff from, from RAM because you had no space left. Nobody does that anymore, right? Like yeah. we've long moved on from that kind of like systems thinking and understanding like the intricacies of, of these systems. Um, and nowadays we build large-scale systems uh, that run on, you know, thousands of containers uh, in multiple regions. Although, quite frankly, we still have quite inefficient. Yeah? <laughs> we, have, we, still haven't, we still haven't really figured out, for example, to, to build a platform that uh, has data residency around the world, right? That is fully distributed. Um, that is, there's lots of challenges um, to still to solve. Um, and so when you ask me about uh, 20 years is a long time, by the way. You just, let's, say, let's say five. Just let's go, say five. Let's, say let's five. start with five. I mean, I think, you know, the, the co-pilot and, and generative AI will, will make it possible that we can keep the exponential growth curve of all these lines of code and all these systems that we are building Uh, and staying sane uh, at the same time, you know, like you have to manage all that code and uh, you have to manage all the security vulnerabilities that some scanner finds in that code, or maybe it's just linter warnings. Uh, you have to, you know, refactor as, as you know, go from a, a system that scales to a thousand users to 10,000, hundred thousand and so on. Right. Like, you know, you, you start a new startup uh, here today. Um, you, you can't build a platform of the scale of Facebook that doesn't make any financial sense. And you probably, waste so much money that by the time you launch, you're already bankrupt, right? So you, you have to kind of like start at a smaller scale that is just big enough to find product market fit and maybe like a little bit bigger to um, to scale to the next round uh, to survive, you know, until you have the next funding round or enough enough uh, cash flow uh, to 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 make enough money from your, from your revenue streams. But like, so you grow every time you grow um, another magnitude, you effectively have to, have to re-architect what you had in, in the past. And You know, as we all know by now, that is hard. Um, and mm. often we want to just throw everything away and, and rewrite it. And then that fails because by, by the year three, you're into that rewrite project. You realize that in the meantime, your main stack has moved on as well and then had innovation. And so I think, you know, AI will help us uh, in many fashions, whether it's auto completion today with Copilot or whether it's in the future, test generation, boilerplate testing, 
in general, you know, finding test cases and, and, and driving up your test coverage um, in, as part of CID, CD, all, all the way to, you know, deploying to the cloud and analyzing, you know, anomalies in your in your Datadog data or whatnot. Um, I think all that will be supported by AI to let us up-level, to let us upskill, you know, to, to run these, these monster systems um, on, in every country on the planet. And, and, and maybe help us migrating away from COBOL, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that is an increasingly common, you know, request that we're seeing, um, that, that people see AI as a way to uh, modernize the existing software. And the way this, you know, conceptually probably will work is that you have, you use a model like, you know, ChatGPT or, or Copilot uh, to describe all that code and kind of like iteratively on a more like a longer time scale, describe what's in each of these methods And so you get a get a description and you can review that and then you can kind of like do the same and generate test cases that that clearly didn't exist in the 60s, you know, like who was doing unit testing and agile back then. Um, and then you have kind of like description and test case against that old code base, and now you can start refactoring into or rewriting into Python and And certainly, um, a, a generative AI copilot can help you with that, mm. uh, and it can give you ideas. And you still have to have a human involved to kind of validate the output. But you can you can see how by by letting the model uh, the model and the the product loop over kind of like the old code base and the test cases, that it iteratively improves the code to a point where you have 99.9 or so probability uh, that the new system uh, equals the old system. You, you, you can kind of see that when you work with ChatGPT and you ask it a question, you get a wrong answer. You can tell it that the answer was wrong and it usually then apologizes, and, apologizes and, yeah, yeah. and gives you a better answer. And then you can say, well, it's, you're engineering the prompt effectively and you're adding stuff to the prompt until you, until you get it to the point where everything it has said before and everything you have said before gets it to the, to the, to the almost right solution. Or, or my almost perfect solution, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Happy to see how how, how this will work uh, with, with 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 real code, right? I mean, well, with ChatGPT, you can al already like quite easily code, uh, but then like really running this stuff at the same time, testing this stuff at the same time, um, and and, and yeah. seeing the final result. You can, I mean, you can already do that with ChatGPT. Paste some Java code and, and tell it to rewrite that code on Python, and it yeah. will do that. And, you, and Copilot, um, you know, has um, Copilot Labs had a feature for that for almost a year, and, and Copilot Chat now now obviously also also does that, where you literally just highlight code in in your editor, and you go into the chat site uh, um, uh, in VS Code and say, hey explain that code to me or, or find a bug in that code. And, and once you do that, obviously knowing that it has an understanding of what the code does also means that you can now ask it to write a test case. And it often actually can write multiple test cases at once and they're pretty good. Um, and, and then it can rewrite that code into, into Python method by method or like selected lines by, by, by each other. And um, it won't be perfect. Um, and um, humans are not perfect either. You know, human programmers make bugs. And so you're not, you still need, Human code review much, much more than, than ChatGPT does. I, I mean, I think, you know, you, the, in a way, you know, all these DevOps practices that we have um, internalized and ultimately introduced into, into our companies have created the, the safeguards, the quality gates um, to make sure that whatever code AI is generating at the, at the you know, leftmost position in the, in the developer lifecycle uh, help us. It, it's almost like we played 4D chess and introduced web DevOps 10 years ago to be now prepared to leverage AI to its fullest potential. 
This podcast is proudly presented by Storyblock, the CMS used by almost 200,000 developers and marketers in over 130 countries. Reducing complexities and inefficiencies across your digital infrastructure is a top priority for CTOs in 2023. Does your current CMS hinder agile development and deployment? Storyblock is a cloud-native API-first CMS that minimizes technical dependencies, enable your development team to create frontends with whatever technology they already know, and your business users to create content only once and publish on multiple platforms. As a CTO, choosing Storyblock means optimizing your tech stack's operational efficiency while making your team more self-sufficient. There are numbers to back this up. Storyblock cuts down development time by 50% and provides 582% ROI over three years, a study by Forrester proves. Visit link.alphalist.com CMS to get a free demo of Storyblock and learn how it can improve your speed to market. Right, because like, yeah, model hallucinations exist. Um, AI will output one code. But then you still have a human code review. And as if, if you've ever worked in a team of developers, you don't want to be the guy that always commits pull requests uh, uh, that are broken. And you don't want to be the one that always gets the feedback, hey, Thomas, you know, your code sucks. And, and you got to rewrite that before we ever merge that into main. Right? So there's some, some social gamification in our teams already where uh, the developers in the team pull each other up um, to, to hopefully the level of the, of the best developer on the team. Um, and then there's obviously CICD and, and, and all these processes, um, security scanning and secret scanning that, you know, automatically verify the code as well. And before you, and, and hopefully before, when you merge, you de deploy to a staging or canary system first uh, or have feature, feature flags. Yeah. <laughs> feature flags. I mean, that goes back to, you know, what I said earlier about, about uh, startups and then scale, right? Like if you just experiment and you build an idea, you want to have that to have that. That to happen as cheap as possible. As as you scale bigger, you have to think about how you build all these quality gates into your pipeline um, to not breaking uh, all the existing users that are happily paying you. Um, I, I think that like thinking about scale later um, is actually one of the things that many CTOs um, learn learn the hard time. Right, um, like first you you build something that is made for for, for scale, really, um, in the very early days. Um, just realize that it's no no product market fit. Um, I, I think it's fascinating to see how this changed in the last years. Um, that like many people over engineered. Uh, quite quite a lot years ago, and I think that that that's no longer possible. How do you see that? I think these days, you know, the most CTOs think think about scale from maybe it's not day one, but day two. As soon as the estimates came back from the engineering teams of how long it builds, how long it takes to build something, uh, the feedback you know, is going to be, why does it take us so long? And, and you know, because the pressure is there from the business side um, to ship faster, um, whether it's, you know, features or, or new systems projects. And um, and so you're, you're automatically in a mode where you are debating within the engineering team, how can we get this job done in, in the shortest amount of time while at the same time preparing us for future scale. And then the big question always is, how big is that scale going to be as soon as your company has some, you know, product managers and a customer success team or, or like some version of a revenue organization, you're going to have some 
kind of feedback loop and and you know there's some optimism on on one side and some pessimism on the other side and it often you know shifts around in companies and sometimes the the engineers are too optimistic and the sellers are too pessimistic or or it's vice versa uh, and and they, the sellers think they can sell that to a thousand companies within the first months and then comes the the first month is over and they actually only sold it to three people and, and it needs them another six months until they have reached the scale that they thought they're going to have in the first month. And you, you, you have that challenge as a CTO, CEO, you know, CPO, it doesn't really matter of kind of like predicting what the future is going to be and, and whether the product that you're building right now is going to have product market fit. And the, the luxury problem that you're going to have is if you have product market fit, your growth is probably faster than you have predicted And so you have to always catch up with with the bad decision, quote unquote, bad decisions you made on the on the first day when you thought, oh, this is never going to work. Um, but let's let's ship it and see if the sellers can sell it, and 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 vice versa. And so I think you know you you think about it all the time. And um, the the challenge that we have is that there is no ground truth. Uh, we could just apply some algorithms, or, or you know, can just ask ChatGPT what the right approach is. Um, you have to you have to learn from experience, and and hopefully. Um, your product managers give you some market insights and, and maybe, you know, sales has already pipeline of customs that can, the more data you have, the, the better decisions you're going to make. Uh, but even then, uh, you know, we are we're wrong as much as we're right. So um, you also have a lot of data at GitHub. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm a yeah. bit jealous. Um, what, what are your, your key challenges in your, in your day to day? Um, like what, what are your biggest challenges these days? As GitHub, I mean, I think you know the the big challenge that we have is that with with the popularity of of um, uh, DevOps and and you know software development moving clearly to the cloud and AI has in, in a certain degree accelerated this. The challenges are exactly what we just discussed at scale um, mm -hmm. and having the system scale, you know, from you know supporting you know thousands of open source projects to now supporting thousands of large enterprise companies and. You know, as those enterprises come and uh, you know not only deploy their repositories uh, onto GitHub, but also you know deploy their their teams on on GitHub, and now have you know organizations of forty, fifty thousand uh, developers, and then all of a sudden you realize, okay, so if they're now adding all these fifty thousand pe people to a new repo, how do you actually you know make that happen uh, that it doesn't bring the system down for everybody else? Um, We have the, you know, I think, you know, in many ways, GitHub operates like like any other company. Um, we're always on the struggle between too many ideas um, and and too many challenges, you know, um, positive and negative challenges, and not enough not enough time. Uh, and so you have to play the prioritization game uh, every single day day of of figuring out, you know, what is it what we're doing next. And and I think that's the biggest challenge, the challenge of our lives, really, um, to 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 make those right decisions. Uh, so the company grows and the platform grows and, and everybody, uh, every customer ultimately is happy. Um, are you personally involved uh, in, in, in this like struggle, uh, this fertilization yeah, struggle and, and what's your role in that? I mean, my role is the role of a, you know, I'm the CEO and so I have a leadership team and um, I have a chief product officer and um, My CTO is right now, it's SVP of engineering and CISO. It doesn't have the CTO title, but it's effectively a CTO, uh, chief revenue officer. So I have my, you know, my leadership team of um, uh, eight people uh, that then run their organizations. And then, um, uh, you know, the biggest challenges come onto my desk, right? That those challenges that they cannot solve by themselves, um, uh, 
uh, they land, they land on my desk, uh, and, and we have to work through those challenges. And um, I think you know the biggest um, the biggest you know energy I get is from talking to customers and 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 seeing uh, how GitHub can help them. And, and with Copilot, uh, in, in many ways, you know, we hit the jackpot um, before before there was any hype around AI. And so that you know that those discussions have changed dramatically. Over the last year, and I put a lot of energy out there, out of that, that I can bring back to my leadership team um, to enable them to make the right decisions and 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 move move forward with their teams and and their goals. Did, did you ever have had the goal to become like more generalistic, like when you were uh, like back then a freelance software developer? Like it's kind of a, a big pivot you went through. Um, Did you ever have that goal, or was it like just happening? I don't know if I. I don't think I had like this moment where I was like, I want to become a CEO and I want to have all these all these knowledges, all this knowledge about about HR and finance, legal, and um, you know all the fu company functions that are non technical. Um, as a startup founder, I think you know kind of like automatically get dragged into this. Um, we were you know. At hockey, every we ten-person startup, um, uh, and I was the CEO because you know every German GmbH needs to have a, a, a managing director, and then it sounds much cooler on LinkedIn to call yourself a CEO. Mm. Uh, obviously, for for many reasons, that is you know a bit of a BS title, right? Because you know, like there's no C-suite in a, in a ten-person startup. There were ten engineers, and and I was the one that also did payroll and and, and sales conversations, and, and and you know managed the web page and and. Together with one of my co-founders, thought about what conferences we would go to, and and uh, and so on. And so, uh, but then naturally, you get dragged into all these other things, and you you learn about a lot about you know how to how to manage uh, payroll and uh, and the books, close the books every month. And um, uh, as as you as I went through my own acquisition at Microsoft, um, and then you know went through the GitHub acquisition, and afterwards we acquired um, another handful of companies um, at GitHub. I learned a lot about about these functions that that ultimately prepared me for that job, and I find a lot of um, satisfaction uh, out of, of out of having that generalistic or that broad knowledge um, about about company because that allows me to kind of like take the insights that I have. You know, when I go on a on a sales trip in APAC, as an example, um, I, I not only see what's you know happening at the customer and hear from them, I also see my own sales team. And, and Microsoft's sales team as an extension in those regions operating, and so I get that knowledge, and then I come back, you know, uh, into my into my staff meeting, and I can share, you know, what uh, both the, the the good things are and the, the room for improvement that that we have together in these conversations, in these processes, and I think that's uh, really enjoyable, and um, I do I do like you know being a CEO that came out of a software development background. Um, yeah, really, really interesting how, how you went through that. Um, do you have like tips you would give other CTOs out there um, how to maybe um, overcome those 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 um, challenges to, to 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 focus on on let's say the more generalistic things while having um, tech in mind? Um, I think you know the, there's obviously the The ones that you hear everywhere, right? But like, which is, um, no matter where you are in your career, you always have to have a learning mindset. Um, you know, um, Microsoft calls it the growth mindset, and not accepting uh, 
that everything is static and, and we are born with leadership skills and whatnot, but realizing that we all need to learn and grow. And, and I think, you know, most CTOs, CEOs, um, C-suite leaders, uh, a big part of their job is reading a lot of information, processing that information, you know, self-reflecting on that information, whether it's, I like Apple Notes, um, it's easy enough because I have it on my, all my devices. I mm -hmm. don't have any sophisticated note-taking system, uh, but sometimes it just helps to throw stuff into, into these notes. Um, and you might never read it again, but just by the process of, you know, um, synthesizing your thoughts after reading an article or preparing for podcasts, <laughs> whatnot, <laughs> uh, you, you, uh, you, you uh, get get the clarity, um, and you know ultimately as leaders um, we need to have clarity. Um, I mentioned already energy. Uh, I think that's the that's the other one where uh, I think I think you when you're an individual contributor when you're a software developer most of your day is kind of like predefined. Um, you wake up in the morning, you know you have whatever your favorite beverage is for me it's coffee, breakfast, or you pick up a, a, an item from the board, or maybe you have a stand up meeting. Uh, hopefully it's not too long and, and not too boring. And then you start coding, uh, and that's that's great. And uh, as you become a leader, you get very, very rewarding. Yeah, yeah, very rewarding. You're rewarding as soon as you get like, and and sometimes frustrating too. I you yeah. know, I remember the days where you tried to find this one bug, and it was in the in the evening. You're so frustrated, and you just want to throw your laptop out of the window. Um, uh, and then the next morning, you wake up with a fresh mind, and all of a sudden, you found it. And you're like, ah, I did it, right? Um, and as a leader, you're, you're much more in a like structure of, okay, so here's a team meeting and the, you know, the, uh, one-on-ones and, and customer meeting here. And so you're kind of like in a, in a rhythm and you have to learn that you're still in charge of your own destiny. And that means organizing your schedule in such a way that you keep the energy level high and, and you're not starting your day with a three hour book review that doesn't actually interest you that, that just somebody wanted you to be in that review uh, because when you have the C-suite leader in the review, it gives everybody a good feeling and that's not a useful uh, use of, of time and it's, it's certainly not giving you energy and, and I'm, I would bet most CTOs are just multitasking uh, and they're doing other stuff, email or, yeah. or messages and, oh, yeah. and so I, it, a lot of that is kind of like, oh, so how do you keep yourself at high energy and then how you take that and, and generate the energy with your teams, and if you have the clarity and if you have the energy, then you will have you will have success. What other things giving you energy? Customer meetings for sure, like customer meetings, customer presentations, keynotes for conferences, um, and and you know, there's always this. You have always a bit of stretch fight um, that that never goes away, and you can you can listen to big rock stars, um, and they tell you that they still have it, uh, and they overcome it by rehearsing and, and doing it more and, and practicing ultimately. Uh, it's not only the the act of doing it. Um, oftentimes, you don't get better by by competing all the time. You have to basically go back into training camp and and kind of like improve your skills. And, and customer meetings are in many ways the same. The same. Um, I love to do my customer meetings without any decks, and I just basically get in a room with, you know, the CTO or and, and the directs or like a group of developers and, and and start a conversation. And usually, we will run out of time soon enough from that conversation and I will have learned something about them and, and they will have learned some, hopefully learned have something from me. Uh, but certainly I will have improved my pitch and, and I will have, you know, kind of like seen what resonates um, when you have something new, right. And what doesn't resonate and where they're like quickly diverging back, you know, to the topic that was interesting them instead of what I'm trying to, to sell. And inside so that gives me a ton of energy. Product, come product discovery, right. So it's, it's product it's, discovery. And you come <laughs> out of these meetings and you know, you're like, more often than not, you're like 
uh, psyched and then you're like, oh, yeah. this, this was great. And, 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 you know, it's, it's not like everybody just signs a deal afterwards. Um, in, in today's world, you know, everything is consumption based and then they start with a couple of seats and then they ramp up and sometimes ramps are faster and sometimes they're slower, but there, there's often, you know, especially with GitHub, um, you know, we, we always come, you know, with our swag and we're wearing our own, you know, t-shirts and hoodies and then we have stickers. And then, so there's also that, uh, certainly, uh, the, the, the emotions that the people have uh, about GitHub, you know, are very similar to popular uh, consumer brands, and um, uh, and that's something that that gives me a lot of energy, and that I can bring back to the team and say, hey, you know, um, we are really onto something here, and and we should keep pushing and 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 keep the tempo high. Yeah, it's really like a, yeah. um, a, a community brand in a way, right? Um, well, it's it's you know the interesting thing about GitHub is that it is it is both a in a way consumers is, is like a little strange because obviously it's not consumer good that's that's sold in the grocery market or on Amazon, but it is a consumer brand in many ways that a lot of a lot of humans are to a certain degree looking into computer science and coding, uh, whether it's kids in school, you know, students in college, or or somebody that's trying to, you know, hack their home automation. And so you have this consumer side, quote unquote, consumer side of uh, of, of of GitHub, and you you go to uh, you go to a Starbucks, and and the barista might ask you, hey, you work for GitHub because they recognize you know the the Octocad on 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 my T-shirt, and, and you don't have many enterprise companies that create those same emotions, and then then you know that other side is of GitHub is an enterprise company. We sell enterprise software uh, to all size of and, and all industries. Um, around the world, um, you know, from cloud native startups uh, all the way to uh, automotive companies and banks and, and you know, governments. And, and so we have these, you know, it's an enterprise company with a consumer arm, both, both coming together. And more, more often than not, you know, the buyers and the fans in those enterprise companies started somehow their open source career on GitHub or their, their developer career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, do you have a mentor? I have a coach or I have gone through a number of coaches um, and I, you know, I would say a lot of people at Microsoft uh, are, you know, informal mentors, like they're not called my mentor, but mm-hmm. obviously I have a lot of, you know, leaders uh, at Microsoft and, and in the industry, um, in, in the software industry that I, you know, can ping and, and ask the question. Um, I have a coach, you know, that, you know, I talk with on a regular basis and, and ask questions and present kind of like the challenges of my day. And, um, you know, coaching is kind of like, he doesn't give me advice. Uh, he, he asked me how to solve it. That's always the, the coaching thing is kind of like, you tell your coach the, the challenges that you have and then coach is not, oh, you should do this and this. And which would, which is kind of like what I thought I would want. And then instead he's asking me, oh, so how could you solve this? And it kind of like forces you to figure it out yourself. And, and the coach um, helps you in that, in that thought process. And then you can kind of rinse and repeat after the coaching session. But yeah, I had, I had um, co- multiple coaches over the years and um, uh, I enjoy doing that. And kind of a, a role model or something which which you constantly observe? I think, you know, there's the, the obvious answers. You know, I, I looked up to Steve Jobs um, for a long time, you know, from a product, from a product perspective and, and, and the way he approached uh, building beautiful products um, together with Johnny Ive and, and, and um, from the way he's, was telling the story of Apple and of each individual Apple product at every keynote that he ever gave, right? That a lot of that I think is uh, my generation is is looking up up to Steve Jobs and and want to build like an Apple like company from from that product focus and 
as a CEO, you know, it's a bit of a, you, you, you want to be, you want to be Steve Jobs and you don't want to be Steve Jobs, I think, because obviously, you know, the, the guy had such a understanding of, of product and design and then, you know, presumably spent, you know, hours in, in uh, with Johnny every day, kind of like PMing the product as the CEO. And the other side is of that is that, you know, as a good CEO, you, you trust your leadership team and you don't, you, rather don't, you, yeah. don't, be, you don't want to be the PM that, that looks into every nitty-gritty detail of the product, uh, micromanaging, you know, a certain aspect of the company while letting other, other things uh, run by itself. And so, but there's, you know, merit to both of these approaches. And, and um, I think, you know, taking, you know, a step back every now and then and, and, and reading, you know, a, a page out of Steve Jobs' life is not a bad idea. What was your latest um, wow moment when you saw something in, in tech, which is not like produced by GitHub, uh, then, <laughs> then, <laughs> well, or you can mention the one from GitHub and, and and the other one. I mean, I think the the answer that you know latest is you know depending. You didn't say how long I can go back, so I'd, I'd say you know Lang, um, not um, ChatGPT. Uh, certainly, in in November, surprised all of us. Um, and, and you know, it, it it really started as this. OpenAI launched this thing as an experiment, and you know they didn't have the they didn't have you know in their mind that it would become a hundred million dollar a hundred million user uh, a platform within within a week, yeah. um, and you you don't often see that uh, certainly not from an AI studio you know that was focused on machine research all of a sudden launching a product like ChatGPT and whether it's for the iPhone moment or, or, or something else, I think, you know, the comparison with Netscape and, and Mosaic uh, in, in 93 is actually to a certain degree better um, because it had like a, it had like a, you know, a lead time between Tim Berners-Lee, you know, inventing the first server and browser and then HTML coming up and, and now all of a sudden the browsers, the browsers really start to become popular. And I didn't have a modem until I think 95 or 96. So even that, you know, was a long period of time that, that today is unthinkable because everybody is so well connected, but certainly it, it, it changed, it changed the world forever. Um, uh, having, having the internet, you know, available uh, in our pockets. And, and I think ChatGPT changed that uh, again. Um, and, Obviously, there was AI before that, um, whether it was the AI on your phone, you know, whether asking Google or, or Siri and the AI that detects all the faces in your photos. And I think most people don't actually know that they can just go into their photo library and, and, and search text and it knows what's in those photos. And because it has already analyzed those photos with AI uh, to detect whether you have whatever, you know, bread in the photo, um, even though you never tagged a photo with bread. And, um, and so AI was in our lives before ChatGPT, but ChatGPT opened everybody's eyes um, and since then, you know, um, an open source ecosystem has evolved around this and, and LangChain is probably the, the yeah. other surprise in the last six months from, you know, out of nowhere to, to uh, you know, big funded startup um, with big ideas. Yeah, it's, it's hard to follow, right? Uh, I mean, it's so much <laughs> happening these days yeah. um, since that moment that it's really hard to, to, to keep track of it. I, I find it amazing as well. Um, well, can you use AI for that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just have AI, you know, as artifacts. Is this um, relevant to me or not? <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, I, I, the Instagram founders, I built this app called Artifact that I'm, yeah. that I'm using that uses AI to kind of learn from my reading habits and what I'm interested in. So you get a lot of, I get a lot of links and, and articles to that. And obviously, 
when you when you're in the industry, you have enough team members that send you stuff day in day out. Um, um, so yeah, it's hard to follow, but at the same time, I think this goes back to you know the growth mindset, right? Like perfection perfectionism is you know the the enemy of of of, of that. You you don't have to read everything. Yeah. Uh, you and if you, it's totally fine to not read a blog end to end, and you can kind of start reading, and if you figure out this is going way too technical. Uh, you, you can actually ask ChatGPT to summarize it to you if you need to, um, but you don't have to read everything to to, to understand what's ha- currently happening. And it's, it, I think it has been uh, probably the most exciting thing for software developers certainly in, in the last thirty years. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so slowly um, coming uh, to the end and, and my 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 popular yeah. outro question. Um, it's a little surprise. Um, I, I guess you know Chris Wentroth, right? Like he he was working for for GitHub uh, for ages, and he actually built an Easter egg into the timeline view. And he 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 he, he told me about that. You can just add like a get parameter, which uh, makes it very very easy to just travel back in time physically. Um, and we now have the chance to travel back in time to the year two thousand and nine, when you started working as a freelance software engineer for MTV Networks. Um, funny enough, yeah. I, I, I checked that on LinkedIn. Um, and um, we now observed yourself for a little while. Um, you were doing some, I don't know, what 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 have you been coding there? Um, like HTML, partly. Um, and um, you now have the chance to whisper something into young Thomas' ears. What what would it be? 2009, uh, you know, I had just end of 2008, I, I quit my Bosch at my job at Bosch and um, and became like a freelance software developer. Um, didn't that wasn't startup yet? It was just we were coding projects um, in in German, you know, from German companies. And uh, MTV, through like a friend of a friend, uh, approached us and, and we built a platform called Game One, which was like a, um, a TV show on 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 MTV back then on about gaming and and then they built like a little we built like a little mini YouTube um, like a blog plus videos and you could basically watch other gamers playing that was before Twitch and 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 the likes and um, so we were building you know Ruby on Rails apps <laughs> in 2009 already uh, with HTML and, and JavaScript and and uh, and then um, iPhone apps right and that was the ultimate goal of us to kind of like make a living of of building iPhone apps. And um, and and then you know out of that came came hockey app. I think if I could go back and whisper something in my ears, um, you know, in, in Germany uh, as a startup founder, you're you're much more conservative uh, compared you know to a startup founder uh, on the west coast in terms of you know um, how you approach things, um, whether you're taking capital or not, um, you know how fast you're trying to predict. Uh, or how fast you're growing and then how fast you can kind of predict your future. The optimism uh, uh, is is much bigger um, in the Bay Area and, and now really the extended West Coast and to certain degrees, you know, in the startup scene in the United States. And I'd say, you know, pessimism or realism, uh, whatever I'd like to call that in Germany is is much bigger than that. And I think I would probably go back to myself and say, let me be a bit more optimistic about what the future could bring and uh, and try to grow faster um, um, both as a as a human and and as a, as a startup, and um, enjoy the savor the moments. Uh, it, you know, I, I wouldn't go back in life and make many changes. I'd probably, you know, enjoy some moments a little bit more intentional um, because you never get you know 
those those times back uh, and you you always want your vacation to be longer and it won't be uh, so you have to enjoy every moment of a vacation and don't don't spend your vacation with podcasts huh? <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think you know that's uh, it's it's always the things that make you like a little bit uncomfortable that also move you forward um in your in your career or or really in your life and you know tonight i will be i will be excited about you know uh, how the day went and so yeah Absolutely. So, uh, Thomas, it was great having you as my guest, uh, and uh, maybe we can repeat it in the future. Uh, I, I then visit you over there um, <laughs> in the Microsoft offices. Um, thanks a lot for being my guest, and, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for having me, and yeah, see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AlphaList podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. AlphaList is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say on Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.